Good afternoon and welcome to this latest edition of the podcast, Shane O on the radio. I am Shane O'Donoghue. It is a very beautiful weekend here in Dublin, Ireland, and uh, I've got a wonderful guest who's a neighbour, a friend. But he has some strong golfing links. So this is actually episode six of the podcast. Um, one of the episodes obviously went into three parts when we were marking the the life and extraordinary times of one John O'Leary and uh, that was kind of special kind of just took off but as with all of the podcasts there is absolutely no script (laughs) which you can probably tell and there is really no agenda it's just about good chat with people who have first hand experience of uh some incredible events and they've had colourful lives and they have things to say and they have music to play and uh, that's what we're going to do and continue in that vein with this podcast. So, hope you're enjoying your Sunday. We normally try to release these podcasts at midday Irish time on a Sunday um, so that people can, well, listen to it on their favourite chair kick back or maybe out on a sun lounger if the weather's decent and take it for a walk with the dog get out of the house get away from the madness that is COVID-19 uh, although it's obviously something that we're all respecting and Ireland is doing very well and leading very well there's a few miscreants out there misbehaving um, but uh, they're reducing in number thankfully and here in Ireland we're actually now entering into another fortnight of lockdown Uh, Although there has been a slight easing in that we can now travel beyond two kilometres of our homes and it's now extended to five kilometres, which is is good, very good, very positive. So who is our guest? Well, I first came across this man, well, I would have seen him on television for years because being an inveterate golf watcher and a... uh, an addict, really, I suppose, to uh, golf tournaments when I was a boy and into um, early adulthood, and that has never changed. And making the odd foray to the Irish Open, which I did for the first time in 1987 and watched Bernhard Langer dismantle Port Marnock Golf Club uh, quite spectacularly. Uh, I just love being around the scene and then obviously having watched tournaments um, so closely, not that there were many, on the television, you just kind of know who's who. And if you listen to good commentary from Peter Alice and, and others, as I did, um, you become aware of the characters because, well, he would obviously observe and he would share that information in his commentary and that certainly had a profound influence on me. And so I've known this man for a long time, but I didn't know him. Um, but we did first meet, and I'm trying to think it was... Well, I would think about uh, early noughties and I got the opportunity to join the Lynx Golfing Society. The Lynx Golf Society, founded by um, Christy O'Connor Sr., Noel Fogarty, a couple of legends who I'm proud to say that I spent quite a bit of time with recording interviews over the years, and a certain man, a diminutive man by the name of Cecil Whelan, who passed away a few years ago, just after celebrating his 80th 80th birthday. So hello to his wonderful wife, Pauline, and all the family. Uh, Cecil will never be forgotten because the Lynx Golf Society became this incredible um, gathering every couple of uh, months during the wintertime when um, good golfers would gather gather to play in Lynx 
uh, on links courses like Baltray and Royal Dublin, Port Marnock and Port Marnock links. And, you know, it was just a fabulous gathering of pros who were kind of quiet at the time um, because the tour, as it was, would end um, after maybe a six, seven month season. So the winters would be quiet. And so they'd like to gather and still keep playing competitively and all the top amateurs would play. And then there would be um, a mix and gather of sponsors and other sort of mid handicappers. And I was numbered amongst them in the latter stages of the Lynx Golf Society. And it was just an absolute privilege to just gather in these amazing clubs for a bit of breakfast and then head out on the links and play 18 and try and win a prize. The hamper was always the big one that we always kind of targeted at Christmas. It was always sponsored by Guinness. So the big hampers were just ginormous. Paddy Murphy and all the gang in uh, Guinness at the time would um, certainly help out to make sure that they were uh, very large. You'd need a couple of people to carry these hampers into your into your car if you were lucky to win one. And uh, that didn't do, happen too often, I can tell you. But that's kind of a way of kind of introducing my guest because he's been in and around golf for over 40 years and he has been inside the ropes all of that time and he has experienced every high and low that a player goes through from an incredible vantage point and uh, it is my pleasure to welcome onto the podcast this week my neighbour and friend Ray Latchford. How are you Ray? Well thank you. Uh, you've been living in Clontarf for how long? All my life. All your life. How old yeah. are you now? 74 next 74. month. 74. You look fresh. Thank you. And that's because of clean living, obviously. Clean living and fresh air. <laughs> you've had a lot of fresh air and you have uh, you have been on your feet a long time, Ray. I have. Um, the love of golf came from where? Oh, my father, playing the St. Anne's Golf Club, introduced me to it. Yeah. So just to illustrate, and uh, if you've seen some of the things I've been putting up on Twitter recently, little videos while in the two kilometre zone, I focused a lot on the Bull Island, which is this fascinating tract of land. And you have to kind of go over a wooden bridge to, to access Royal Dublin. But there now is a road that leads to St. Anne's. But that certainly wasn't the case in the early days in St. Anne's, was it? No, across the wooden bridge and down the beach, if you had a car yeah, or walk. No causeway those days. Mm. So there's a there's an incredible history of golf in this particular area of Dublin. Um, St. Anne's, as I've mentioned, you know, has had some incredible people working in it and synonymous with it. People like Paddy Skerritt, um, who led the Open Championship for 40 odd holes back in 1968 at Carnoustie. Uh, a colourful man from a big family from Lahinch in County Clare. You knew Paddy well? I did. I did, yes. And what was it about him? What was his little magic? Because he and Christy O'Connor Sr., they were great buddies. Well, yeah, a little rivalry between Royal Dublin and St. Anne's. You know. And what was it about his personality, Ray? Oh, he's a very jolly, jolly man. That uh, he was. Yeah. He kind of yeah. looked like Charlie Chaplin in his latter well, days. With his hair, yeah. Hair used to stand up on that, yeah. Yeah. But a great golfer. Good golfer. Always had a golf club in his hand. Bit like yeah. senior, actually. Senior would always yeah. be swinging, yeah. even yeah. in the in the That's pro true. shop. Yeah, yeah. And so you were introduced to the game by your father. Was he a decent golfer? Ten handicapper. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. good. And what was it about the game that kind of attracted you? I used to go down. I used to go down to caddy for him, pull the trolley around, and then he gave me a membership, 
paid for membership. I think it was a half crown in those days, ju- juvenile member. Mm. A half crown? I mean, what's a half crown in, in new know. money? That's what it was. I don't, <laughs> half I don't crown. Know. Half crown, yeah. It was a bit before my time now, the half crown, but I mean, mm. I certainly was brought up with the kind of tail end of pounds, shillings and pence, and then it became <clears throat> decimalization, um, maybe in the early 70s. And so it was 5, 10, 20p, 50p. 50p was a lot of money for me, I must say, but a half crown sounds mm. like this incredible sort of unit of currency. Mm. Was. So you got in as a junior, were there many? Juvenile. A ju- yeah, juvenile, as a juvenile yeah. right. There was only about six, six lads at the time. How old were you? I'd say I was about 12. Okay, right. And did you have much of a swing then, or were you kind of, how, how, how kind of decent were you? Self-taught. Yeah. Self-taught. Like so many. Yeah. Because Paddy Skerritt wasn't around then. No, there was no one there. Yeah. There was no uh, professional there at the time. And what was it about the game that kind of kind of infected you? That and then watch, watching golf on the television. It used to be the Shell's Wonderful World of Golf in those days. Yeah, yeah. Which was a show that travelled the world. Yeah. Featuring a kind of a local legend playing with maybe some other kind of very famous golfer. And then it would be hosted by, I can't remember the name of the guy who actually hosted it, but Gene Sarazen would always be alongside and he'd be wearing the plus fours. That's right. And he'd be um, sometimes wearing his green jacket, actually, <laughs> which he shouldn't have been taking from the club. But I mean, you know, yeah. I'll have to have a word with the club about that. <laughs> anyway, um, so you would have been influenced by that. And did you have aspirations or ambitions to be a golfer? No, just tried to play as well as I could and get handicapped down, you know. Mm. What year was this then, if you were 12? So you're 74 now, when you started. What? Yeah, so 62 years ago. 62 years ago. Quick maths. What was 62 years ago? I'm trying to think. Okay, um, that would be 1960, 1958. 58. Wow. And where did you go to school around here? I went to Belgrove. Okay. Around Seafield Road. Yeah. So you're still just living around the corner from there? Yeah, yeah, walking distance. And it should be pointed out, walking distance from the Pebble, the, the uh, well-known hostelry, the Pebble Beach, which uh, has featured quite a bit in, in some of my Twitter postings of late. Yeah, Nice little spot, owned by the Grangers. That's right. Founded in 1960, so you've kind of grown up with that place's evolution. I did. Um, it's a real golfing parish, isn't it? It is very good. Yeah. Now, Ray is... Um, a man who has been on the bag for some very prominent people and has been around some incredible moments for Irish golf over the years. We'll get into all of that, but uh, a lot of guys who became Ryder Cup heroes, and I talk about Philip Walton and Eamon Darcy in particular, uh, but Des Smith, uh, Ray has been the caddy for Des Smith for the last 20 odd years and uh, has a rich association with the man from Laytown, Bettystown. We'll get into all of that in a moment. And uh, Ray will uh, ease into this little podcast. I'm kind of putting him on the spot. He's a neighbour and he's uh, just uh, arrived at the house with a couple of pieces of music as well, which we're going to play. Um, You did tell me of a few that you'd like. Uh, Which one would you like to kickstart with? Lionel Richie. Lionel Richie. Why so? I just like like his music. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a good one. This is a very good one. And this is a perfect way to ease yourself into a Sunday. Lionel Richie, very special song. Mm-hmm. 
That is Lionel Richie with uh, Trudy, one of his big, big hits on this podcast. Shano on the radio, that's me, alongside Ray Latchford, one of uh, Ireland's most prominent and successful and long-standing bagmen on tour. So we had the bagmen from the current European tour on last week. So I just kind of decided to continue the theme and um, it's just terrific to have Ray with me. And Ray actually, when he was picking a few songs uh, in advance of coming over to the house and recording this, uh, you mentioned Lady Antebellum. So they have this amazing version, which I saw on YouTube as well um, earlier today. It was just, well, there there was too much of a kind of a live thing, um, an introduction, and and it just didn't kind of fit with what I was trying to do here. 
but you, you're a big fan of what they did on the night and Lionel Richie was watching them yes. perform, isn't that right? Yes. What did you like about it? It's just the way they sing. I mean, it's, it's group. Yeah. Male and female yeah. singing. Yeah. They're they're terrific. Yeah, the harmony. Singers, it? yeah. And very good live. Uh, but Lionel Richie was in the audience. I'm not entirely certain, was it? It was a celebration of his music, actually, that whole show. I think it was, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he got emotional. He was crying at yeah, the end. Yeah. He was just thrilled. So you should check that out. Truly uh, sung by Lady Antebellum. And, Antebellum. Um, and Lionel Richie, I think it was a celebration of his life and music. So um, talk about the caddying then. When When did you first start getting into that side of things? Well, I used to go take my holidays from work and go over to see the Spanish Open and Madrid Open in those days. Wow. Oh, wait. In the back. 60s? Yeah. Wow. Okay, right. I didn't know that. Yeah. And what compelled you to do that? Because I was so interested in the game, yeah. you know. And so who were you looking at back in the 60s on what was not even the European tour then? It was a series of national opens, obviously. And there was some semblance of organisation, all right, but... The National Opens were it, weren't they? I took two I took two weeks holidays, three weeks holidays from work. What were, what were you working at? At the plate making. Plate, plate? making, printing. Yeah. Plate makers. Locally? In uh, Stevens Green. Okay. So you were in set Dublin. on having a career in printing? Print, well, my father was a printer and his father was a printer, so we, yeah. I got a apprenticeship in there. Five or six years. Yeah. I didn't, like, I didn't like it, though. Yeah. I think it's amazing to talk to caddies, though, and the colourful lives they've had, but also the compulsion to just jump off a cliff and say, to hell with it, I'm joining the circus. The circus being the golf tour. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's almost something that you just have to do. If you don't do it, you'll never be happy because it's kind of, uh, it's just a deep-rooted desire to get inside the ropes yeah. and be part of it. Mm -hmm. Was that way the way it was for you? Yeah, well, I got uh, the job went into redundancy. I got redundant. Oh. The whole place closed. Timing. Yeah, so I decided to go caddying. What what year was that? Oh, it had to be late seventies. Okay, right. And uh, you backed yourself. You kind of took a punt and said, "What?" Or, or oh, did I you get an opportunity? To, I went to a pro am in Ballycanely, in Galway, outside of Galway, All outside right. Clifton. Connemara Golf Club? Or yeah, Connemara. Yeah. Beautiful. Eddie Hackett design. I did. And gem, uh, an absolute gem of a place. I happened to caddy for Raymond Darcy. The Darcy. Mm. And how did that come about? How did, how did the actual link up with him come about? Well, the chapter was running. It was Paul Henry. Paul Henry uh, introduced me to Eamon Darcy. He'd no caddy, so I caddied for him. And... A couple okay. of weeks later, I was going to Tunisia to see the, the caddy in the tournament. I had no job. I just went on Spike. And Eamon Darcy's caddy never turned up. And I caddied for Eamon Darcy for a number of years. Wow. And it all began there. So luckily, Darcy didn't have a bag man. He arrived in Ballycanely. You happened to be ready and, ready and willing. Mm. And then you took a punt and decided to go out to Tunisia just to see if you tournament. could pick something up. Yeah. And Lo and behold, it's the Darcy himself. His caddy never turned up. That's fascinating. So what was it about the pair of you? Or what was it, do you think, that he liked about you or that you liked about him? What was the chemistry that led to a bit of a a team kind of yeah, building? We seemed to get on okay. 
and I'm okay for that. There wasn't many caddies in those days out there, you know. Yeah. And so we're talking about the late 70s here. Late 70s, early 80s. Right. And Eamon Darcy, like it's a fascinating story how he began. And he um, he turned professional effectively off of, I think it was a 12 handicap. Something like that, I believe. He was an apprentice <laughs> and... Then I think he got a gig over in the UK, if I'm not mistaken, and he just, with all his spare time, he just spent his time chipping and putting around the clubhouse and became so proficient. Now, obviously, he had a massive talent, but the story is just incredible that within six years of turning professional, at 12 handicap, he played in the Ryder Cup. That's right. Wow. So he was a Ryder Cupper by the time you kind of hooked up with him. He had... A couple of victories. He was established. He was unique, however, in how he went about his business because that swing has become famous around the world. It's almost like Jimmy Bruins, but it was very much Eamon Darcy's. Was. And what 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 did you kind of notice from the side from that vantage point of being beside him, um, with regard to his overall talent? What what was the little magic that he had that allowed him to make money? From the game, as you say, he had his own swing and was successful, very confident, could play any shot, good pitcher around the greens. The short game was the short game was really good. Yeah, he drove the ball very well, played the ball. Yeah. So you never really worried about him, did you? I mean, he had stock shots. He he was in control of his yeah, of his game. Of the ball, yeah. And the short game, though, must have been the... Um, His pitching and bunker shots were brilliant. Yeah. Kind of special. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so how long did you spend with him? A couple of years. I carried for him. In 73, he won the Spanish Open. 83. 83, yeah. sorry. Las Brisas. In Las Brisas. Yeah. How, how, what was that? What, what are your memories of that? I remember him playing very well. I think uh, Canizares was and Panero were in contention that time. But uh, I remember the last hole, he had a drive slightly uphill, driving six iron to win by a shot, I think it was in those days. It's always by a shot. It's always I think one it was. shot that I think separates it was. these guys, isn't I think it? it was. It's always it was a shot. 83. Wow. And was Eamon a man to celebrate? Well, I remember going... <laughs> did you celebrate? No, I did on my own, yeah, because I, <laughs> I think I came home that night. Well, okay, there was a flight out of... There was a flight out of Malaga. Yeah. Um, what, what was the feeling like, though, to be on the bag with him to win a National Open as prestigious as the Spanish Open? Very good, very good. It was exciting. And how do you think he processed it? I mean, because obviously, look, he was a proven winner. He was a Ryder Cupper. He was battling probably for another Ryder Cup spot that year when Tony Jacklin took over. Um, he was always in the mix in that. So, like this is these are the peak years of Darcy. Yes. So, like, how do you how did how do you think he kind of reflected on it, or how did he celebrate, or how how was he in in victory? Oh, he's in great mood. Very excited. Yeah. Like he's an amazing fella, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. And um, I just I find he's a compelling figure, straight as a die. Tells it as it is. He's quietly spoken in his own ways, but he's almost yes. as quietly spoken as you, Ray. <laughs> uh, that's good. 
Right. And we, well, I'm trying to get Eamon Darcy on the line if I can, but if the sun is shining, he's out on a horse and he's up in the hills of Wicklow and um, the coverage isn't that great. So um, I will try. Uh, but I'm in the company of Ray Latchford for this podcast. Ray is a bagman, a caddy, professional caddy for over 40 years and now 74. And he's a neighbour and a friend. And I thought it might be interesting to have him on the show. And here he is sitting in my house in the garage uh, where I have set up a couple of microphones. Are we going to play another piece of music, Raymond? Uh, which one are you going to go for now? George Michael. Okay, so what do you like about this one? I remember when this one came out, it was around about the Olympics, I think, in 84. Um, I'll never forget it, actually. It was kind of his first solo hit, even though it was a song that he had written uh, even before he formed Wham! or In and Around then, but it was a song that he'd held on to. But this was a big moment when he decided to go solo with this. Um, what is it that you like about it? I just like his, his music. I like the, his uh, voice. Yeah. A lot to like about it. And the old saxophone as well at the start. Got a nice 80s vibe going here with Ray Latchford on this sixth episode of Shano on the radio. Uh, we haven't opened up the phone lines, so we're not taking requests. <laughs> <laughs> But we will be opening up the phone lines and talking to some um, people who know Ray and we'll have a bit of crack with them.
Well, if you are out for a walk or you are reclining in your favourite seat, hopefully you're enjoying the music and, uh, well, the relaxed nature of what this show is. And it's good to have your company. Very good. George Michael, the late, great superstar who died Christmas a few years ago. A bit shocking, really, but he clearly had health issues. Um, but what an amazing voice. What an incredible superstar he was. London-born. And I am glad to say I saw him live in concert here in Dublin. And that was terrific. And Listen Without Prejudice would be probably one of my favourite and more important albums of my kind of um life and record collection and whatever. And so to hear him sing some of the songs that I loved from that album live at uh, the Three Arena, uh, Harry Crosby's old Point Depot. Well, that was kind of special. But that is the choice of Ray Lashford, our guest, our special guest this week. Uh, Bagman on tour for over 40 years and has been alongside some great players, certainly from Ireland, as they have achieved some incredible victories. Uh, Philip Walton was one of your... More, most successful bags as well. And Walton was this kind of boy wonder himself and Ronan Rafferty came onto the scene in the sort of the late 70s, early 80s and were just sensational. They were like superstars. They were now, you know, they, they were the, the, the boys who would be kings and take over from the Darcys and the Smiths and the Christy O'Connors and Eddie Pollins and all these amazing characters, John O'Leary. Yeah. You know, these were the boy wonders. Uh, how did you first meet Waltz? I met I met Philip when uh, I was cutting for Eamon. Had he turned pro at that stage? He turned pro, yeah. Yeah, so that would have been about yeah. 1983, I'd say. 83. So 83, you win the Spanish with Darcy. Walton played two Walker Cups. That's in, right. In um, Cypress Point in 81 with Ronan Rafferty. And then in 83, was on the team with uh, Arthur Pierce when GB and I um, lost to the USA, which had a, a galaxy of stars at Hoylake. And then he turned pro after that. He was European amateur champion as well, if I'm not mistaken, around about then. He was Scottish yeah. youth, Scottish amateur. Mm-hmm. Uh, won the Irish Close, I think, in 82. So he was like, uh, he was the rising thing, himself and, and, and Rafferty. Oh, and Rafferty, yes. And wh- wh- what's, the, what's the recollection of the first meeting of Philip Walton for you? I can't remember the first tournament. <laughs> I can't remember the first tournament. But for you sure. know, meeting him first though, when you were with Darcy, what was what oh. was it? What was it about him that you that kind of struck you about Philip? He was uh, seemed to be a natural swinger at the club, and that, and uh, seemed to be very friendly in those days when I met him first. Yeah. He seemed, did he seem very comfortable within the whole professional scene? He seemed to be, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I met him in Malahide. Which is where he's from. Yeah. And he was a member of Malahide, the old Malahide. The old Golf Malahide, Club. nine holes. Up in the, up up in the, the hill, hill there, yeah. 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 Overlooking the town and, and the estuary and out to the Irish Sea. Yeah. He asked me to caddy for him and... Uh, you were at a loose end at the time, were you? Yes. Yes, I was. How come? Sure. You and Darcy had just fallen out. And uh, Parting of ways, Raymond. Parting of ways. Yeah. I uh, carried for Philip then for a number of years. I think it was five years. Whoa, okay. Yeah. So you saw his evolution as a young pro. And how would you kind of classify it? I mean, how? what did you sense from him? Was he 
hugely ambitious? Was he hardworking? Was he a combination of things? What was he? Yeah, he was the whole lot, I think, and a natural, very natural swinger of the club. Touch of the Hogan's about his swing, yeah, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Beautifully on the inside. Yeah. yeah. Um, lovely position. Yes. And a natural, if you... Natural, natural. As natural yeah, now as they yeah. come, I think. Yeah. Looking, but I mean, that yes. obviously requires a bit of work too. Yeah. And was he was he a, was he a dogged kind of guy on the practice round, kind of hitting balls and, you know, just trying to get every little department right? Yeah, he practiced a lot. Yeah, he had a coach, uh, Bob Turns. Yeah, Bob used to come over a fair bit to him, and he used to move the larks. Yeah, a lot in practice sessions. And Bob Turns had a it was like a, effectively a driving academy or a teaching academy in Largs. He had a small driving range. Yeah, yeah, a few uh, cubicles. Yeah, yeah. I never went over there. Very basic, I'm told. Yeah, I never you know. went over there, but uh, he used to come on, he used to practice in the island a lot. Wow. I was off and went down with him. Yeah. So that's where he played a lot of golf then. Great Phillip. place. Yeah, Philip would kind of get, you know, playing played good links golf. Yeah. And it was on only a stone's throw from the house. That's and all right, that kind yeah. Of and did you, did you work a lot with him, with Torrance? Were you privy to what they were no, doing No, I together? didn't do, no, I didn't do a lot with him. Yeah. So you just... Pitched up, did you, for yeah. practice rounds yeah. as well as tournaments, yeah. obviously. And Bob used to be at the tournaments as well, did a yeah. few sessions with him. So you would have seen that bit though, oh, yes. at, on the range of tournaments. Yeah. And what yeah. was the communication between the two of them? Because they're kind of, they're unique characters. They're They seem to enjoy quiet. each company. Yeah, they enjoyed each company. You know. Yeah. And what would, what would Torrance be trying to impart on someone like Philip with that swing? Which I'm sure, I'm sure... Torrance loved Walton's swing. He did. Because he was a Hogan nut. He did, yeah. He did, yeah. And what was he trying to tell him to do or what was the, what was the simplistic approach in terms of communication? Ah, well, Hogan had something special and uh, he told Bob, but Bob wouldn't tell anyone. But he, <laughs> told, he told Philip, I think. <laughs> right. So he yeah. did pass it on to Walt. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. And have you any was a clue as to what I don't know what the secret was, was no. Yeah, I wonder what it was. I mean, a lot of it actually comes down to just hard work. Like Hogan would always say, as my doorbell rings, uh, Hogan would always say about digging it out of the dirt. You've got mm. to figure it out. Yeah. And Hogan certainly figured it out. Well, Hogan told Bob over in, in uh, Texas. Texas, yeah. Texas, so Bob said. Mm. And Hogan, the secret. Yeah, Hogan had a lot of time for Bob, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of respect for Bob Torrance. Obviously, Torrance would go on, Bob Torrance would go on to coach Padraig Harrington and transform him into a world beater. That's right. Um, which is another story in itself. But uh, Philip then, was he coming close to winning? Yes. He had a chance, he looked like winning at the Irish Open in Port Marnock. Oh, he, well, he got to a playoff at Woosnam. He got a playoff at Woosnam. So yeah. that's 89. 89. Port Marnock. And I think then, was it the following year? The Dunhill Cup in St. Andrews. Huge, yeah. Huge. They won the Dunhill Cup. So that was himself, Rafferty and Ferrety, if Ferrety, I'm not mistaken. Yes. That must have been good crack, was it? Yeah, very good. That was a playoff, I think. That's yeah. What I remember. Yeah, yeah. So they had won it in 88 with Des, Des Smith and Amy Darcy and Christy Jr. No? No, I think it was Ronan Rafferty. It was Ronan Rafferty again, your, beg your pardon. That's when Ronan had the moustache. Yeah. That was a good look for Ronan, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so 
1990, they win the Dunhill Cup again at St. Andrews, which is this phenomenal gathering of nations, three men teams, or three man teams. Three man team. Um, and who was the leader in the trio? Who was the boss man? I can't remember. It was, it was just a joint effort, was yeah, it? Yeah, joint effort. Look after your own game. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was it like for you to be kind of in the thick of that? Oh, very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a playoff. It was a playoff. I think. It, yeah, I'm trying to remember. England. Yeah, I remember watching it. All right, I'm trying to remember. It was a playoff. A playoff against England. Against England. So they had the likes of Howard Clark. Howard Clark, I think. Um, who else? I'm not sure. I can't remember. The Faldo. Was that '88? No, that was, was, that was, that was when the, Smithy beat him. Yeah, that's beat him. And Faldo was pretty good in '88. Mm, that's Smithy when the fog him. came down. That's right, and they had, well, Faldo insisted on not Wouldn't playing play, yeah, the last right. hole. Yeah, they played the following hole. And p- the students were hanging all these signs out of the window of the um, university hall and everything. Yes. Hit it here, Nick. <laughs> and Smithy came back and did the biz. The 18th. Dramatic. Yeah, that was, they're memories of my youth, Raymond. Memories of my youth, burned into my, my golfing brain, small and all as it is. Um... So, right, so Walton then, that's 1990. But 1990 was a year where he kind of, he elevated himself a little bit more, didn't he? I mean, if I'm not mistaken, that's when he won. Did he win either the French or the, the French Open. Open? Yeah. In Chantilly. Great place. Bernard Langer. In Paris. He beat Bernard Langer in the playoff. And what was, like, I mean, what, describe the exchanges between the pair of you. Because as has become very clear, you're a quietly spoken man, Ray. Yes. And Walton is not the most talkative he's, either. He's quiet as well. Yeah. So <laughs> you're in the mix, right, <laughs> at the French Open, which is one of the premier tournaments in world golf, one of the most historic events. And uh, not that you're thinking about that. This is business. This is work. This is day to day. It's Sunday. Sunday is a work day for you boys. Um, describe the kind of the last few holes of regulation. I can't remember them. Well, that's good to know. Well done, Ray. Okay. <laughs> I don't think we even had it on television, to be honest with you. It may have been the very early days of whatever sports channel was available, Super Sport or whatever. And if I'm not mistaken, you and Murray would have been a commentator and our own Roddy Carr and maybe Bruce Critchley was doing a bit. Bruce Critchley, I'd say. Um, okay, then, can you remember the last hole of regulation to make sure that you were in a playoff or... Who was he playing with? I think or? it was a part three, I think. Okay, in Shanti, yeah, okay. I think it was a part three. Yeah. I think Bernard missed the green. Did you play with Bernard in the final round as well? No. No, in the no. playoff then? No, the playoff. Right, okay. Yeah. So in the playoff. As far as I can remember. He misses the green. I think he missed the green in a short hole. And what did Waltz do? Walton hit it on the green. What did he hit? I'm not sure what <laughs> it's so far back. <laughs> anyway, he got a par, did he? And yeah. Langer bogeyed. Yeah, yeah. And how was Langer? Because, I mean, he's a fiery... Yeah, he's a very disciplined... But internally man. very fiery, determined man, which yeah. is has continued to this day. He still looks the same. He does. He still weighs the same. Yeah. His body shape is the same. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. And he's about to turn 63. He is. A phenomenal individual. Phenomenal who has a rich association with Ireland, obviously. Um, so obviously, uh, Waltz then came close to winning the Irish Open the previous year. Then he wins the French Open, which is massive. 
How did you celebrate? Oh, we did. You flew home. Yeah. No, flew <laughs> home. Yeah, we did. Yeah, <laughs> celebrated for a few days after that. Yeah, Malahide. All right, so Gibney's got a bit of a hammer. Mm. That's right. Gibney's was the place. Nice in those days. Yeah. Does Philip still knocks around Gibney's? Does he? I'm not sure. A very popular spot. A lot of Barry Gibney and all the crew there. <laughs> Noel Fogarty's daughter actually works up there as well. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of her name. Um, but Noel Fogarty, one of our great legendary amateurs, who was a great mate of Joe Carr's and uh, Christy O'Connor Sr.'s. Um, phenomenal place. It's like Lou in there. I mean, you you get stuck in there very quickly, couldn't you? Yeah, you Darren Clark could tell you a few stories about Ireland, that place. Yeah, the Irish Open was there. It was just be packed. Yeah, because only Marnock, yeah. And Barry is a big golf guy anyway. It's oh, a bit yeah. of a golfer's place. It's a golfer paradise, yeah. And you might bump into John Mahoney and a few other characters knocking around you there. Would. <laughs> <laughs> Former yeah. boy sensation, John Mahoney. John Mahoney, yeah. Winner of a couple of boy majors back in the 70s. Yeah. Um, right, very interesting. So that was a good week then to celebrate. I mean, you need to celebrate these wins, Ray. You do. And Walsh did Sure did. He did. Yeah. Good, good. Fascinating. Right, uh, we're going to play another piece of music, and uh, you have chosen a few. Actually, here's a good one, because, well, like most people, you're into English football. That's right. And in Ireland, because of the Irish connection with what used to be the First Division, now the Premiership for many, many years, uh, there are three big teams, really, that attract the masses as far as Irish fans are concerned. Now, obviously, there 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 are people who support all manner of different teams, but in England, um, you'd have to look at Arsenal for obvious reasons with the Irish connection there. Clearly, Manchester United is huge for fans over here, and people go over and back all the time to to follow their favorite teams. But there's been a a wonderful Irish link with. The city of Liverpool, anyway, going back, I would say, centuries. Of course. Um, whether it's in just jobs being available there in, um, you know, the Industrial Revolution and whatever. But it has kind of manifested itself into becoming an almost Irish enclave over there. Yes. There's a really strong Irish influence in Liverpool. And if you look at the Beatles, um, I think maybe three of the four are very strongly Irish-related. Uh, John Lennon, Paul McCartney... Um, George Harrison and I'd say Ringo Starr probably has a bit of Irish in him as well uh, with a name like Richard Starkey but that's besides the point Liverpool Football Club and Everton they've got a lot of Irish fans but Liverpool in particular well, wh- what began your fascination with that team? Well I can well it was Leeds and Liverpool in those days I remember the top two teams Johnny Giles and yeah. the late Norman Hunter yeah, and, and I just fancied Liverpool at Easy to get over on the boat, cattle yeah. boat in those days. The cattle boat, yeah. Yeah. Which saw a lot of people emigrating Lens, from these shores Lens on that cattle Ulster boat. used to go from the Liverpool Bar and Dublin's docks. Right. Over to Birkenhead, let the cattle off, and then it used to drift across the Mersey to the Royal Iver Building Society. I know it well. It's still there. Yeah. There's some fascinating old buildings around Liverpool yeah. City, aren't there? I had a few friends that had apartments there, and we used to go up in the mornings there, and... Have a breakfast, one lived right close to uh, Anfield Road. Wow. Yeah, we used to look out to see, was the crowd going into the cop? That's mm. where we used to go. And yeah. then we'd make a move at half two or so and then up and then. How young were you when you first made a foray over to Liverpool to watch the team? Oh, I was around 17. On Six, the cattle boat again? Yeah. 
So how much was the fare for an individual to kind of just be a... Uh, it was a, only a couple of quid. A walk on. Over, yeah. A couple of quid. Walk on, yeah. So you kind of relished saving for that, I would imagine. Used to go up. We used to go nearly to all the uh, home matches. Fantastic. A few of the away matches, Old Trafford and Main Road, Manchester City's in those yeah. days was Main yeah. Road. And yeah. That. So it was on your doorstep. Not only yeah. was golf on your doorstep, St. Anne's, Royal Dublin... Um, you could pretty much walk down to the ferry terminal. Yes. You probably did. Yeah. And hop on the boat and live out your fantasies in real time. Yeah, that's you know, right. It wasn't listening to the radio. Like, I mean, oh, no. as most people did, or watching what you could on TV, you actually went to the games. Went to the games, yeah. Most and did you, what, what would you have, the red and white scarf or what would you? No, I didn't red wear scarf no, or, no, I wouldn't wear the scarf, no. You wouldn't, you weren't that no, no, tragic, I no. I didn't wear any scarf or jersey. Right. Okay, no. you were low-key Ray Lashford yeah, yeah. with a group of your mates. Was, group was just go over all the time. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. And can I ask you then, as kind of life moved on and you became more prominent in caddying and travelling the globe and travelling Europe, certainly, in this fascinating period for the development of the European tour, pro-ams are massive. Uh, who was the first big Liverpool player that you came across in a pro-am? Oh, uh, Ray Clements and uh, Jamie Redknapp. Okay. Now, there's a bit of a generation gap there, so there that's quite a, a leap. Yeah, yeah. So, Ray Clements, let's talk about him, the man between the posts. Um, what an icon. Very, yes. I mean, he was the man, safest hands in soccer, effectively. England international, but Liverpool were the team in the 70s. Yeah. They were cleaning up. And he was the guy who was keeping the clean sheets. That's right. Um, what was he like as a person? Very nice. Met him a number of times. Yeah. He, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I think his daughter is married to Brian Davis. That's right. So Brian Davis was a European tour winner and then went over to the United States. That's and right. carved out a very good career. Came close on a number of occasions. Had that famous incident in Hilton, Hilton Head. Head where yeah. he called a penalty on himself. Grounded the club. Got to respect that. Yeah. So he's a good guy. Um, right, so his daughter married Brian Davis, but Ray Clements, was he any good at golf? Average. Yeah. Average golfer. But liked it. Yeah. And what was it like as a as a an inveterate fan or a true, blue, true red fan, um, true Reds fan, let's be specific about this, to be alongside him. It was exciting. Seeing did you play. tell him how much you admired him? <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> yeah. I, did. <laughs> I did, yeah. He was very good. Did you feel yeah. like you were living out your dreams in some respects, though? You know what I mean? To be in these positions. Like, you were just quietly spoken Ray Latchford, who had a, a yearning to be on the tour. This was your kind of route to market, was to carry bags. And... You know, you're developing a reputation all the time because you're, you're, you know, you're playing, you're working for good players and you're holding on to your gig. And then you're moving to another player, holding on to that gig because, I mean, it is a bit of a chop change kind of a lifestyle. Yeah. But to be, you know, to be in the company of heroes as well in these unique um, periods where you're at the, the pro-am and you just, you're up close with them. Like you're getting something that not many people get. Oh, it's a very exciting of us, yeah. Very good. Real at times. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, will we play another piece of music? Actually, no, I'll tell you why. I, I went off on that bit of a, not, not quite a tangent, but it was by way of introducing this next piece of music because 
um this is the uh, this is the song that they sing every at every match that's true Jerry and the pacemakers best version when you walk through a storm hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark at the end of a stone there's a golden sky Jerry Marsden, Jerry and the Pacemakers from the 60s. You'll never walk alone on this edition of the podcast. This is Shane O'Donoghue, and I'm in the company of my neighbour and friend, Ray Latchford, who has been on the bag for some great Irish golfers who have had some wonderful professional successes uh, in their careers. And you enjoy listening to that song, I'm sure, Ray. There's something about that that you'll never tire of, I'm sure. No, never tired of that. Never. Um, I'll tell you what I'm going to do while we're here in my garage is I'm going to line up a little phone call and I'm going to call a certain man who you have been with for a long time professionally and let's see if this works. It should do. Okay, it should start ringing. There you go. All live. <clears throat> Nothing is edited on this show, by the way, ever. Wow! Did you get all that information? <laughs> Do you know something, uh, Des? And we're 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 still in record here. Um, 
your 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 bagman is a is a quiet type. He's the he's the brooding <laughs> silent type. But I'm enjoying being with him. I'm not sure he's enjoying it as much as he should because he's 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 with a friend. I've told him before we started recording this. Look, I just want you to remember you're at your granny's. Right? Yeah. You might as well be up by the fire and she's about to make you uh, a nice cup of cocoa with some soldiers. I should have I should have told you to give him a few pints. He, he gets more talkative with a few pints. Yeah, but I wouldn't, you see. And uh, <laughs> that wouldn't be good for me. And you're a funny guy to say that now because you are the most disciplined man that ever walked the planet of golf. <laughs> Uh, but I know I know Ray well. He talks he talks a lot more when he gets a few drinks. I know, I know, I know. So maybe 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 when we redo it, maybe I'll warm him yeah, up that yeah, way. Yeah, we'll do part two. Yeah, I know yeah, we'll do a part two. Anyway, say hello to Ray. He's he's, he, he's listening. How are you, Ray? To How are you, Des? The Pebble Beach is not Ray? open. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> I think there's nothing open. How are you keeping? I'm keeping good. Yeah, yeah, oh, and you. Good. Yeah, yeah, I can't complain. Yeah, how are oh, you yeah. doing, Des, you and Vicky and the family? What's what's this ah, it's, scene it's, like it's, for you? No, it's just, yeah, it's just Vicky and I. Shane lives with us, and he goes to work each day. He works in the bank. Yeah. So that's it, really. Um, the, the, the grandkids, our Karen can't come up, so we're kind of just mooching around here on our own, and then we go down to the club for a walk. That's our yeah. That's our thing for the day. I and mean, one of my big episodes, I make coffee at 11 o'clock every day. That's one. That's a big moment, I is it? That's a now. huge moment that's in the Smith moment. household, yeah. yeah. And I'm watching, I'm reading and I'm watching TV. I'm Good. I'm watching the highlights of the 2017 Open at the moment, which wow. I worked on on the radio, but I, I didn't actually see it. So yeah. that's what I'm doing this afternoon. But that was a cracker. I mean, 2017, yeah. right? That was Burkdale, Jordan Spieth. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. And you'd know Burkdale well. You'd know Burkdale well. Oh, I, I think it's probably my favourite course. You know, it's probably the best, um, really and truly, it's probably the best open championship venue. Yeah, it's a great place to have it. Yeah. Like yeah, uh, like St. Andrews has what it has, which is history yeah. and atmosphere and uniqueness. But Burkdale yeah. is a proper golfer's golf league. Yes, yeah. it is, yeah. All the variety. Uh, you don't see the sea yeah. as much, but I mean, it is there, but... Uh, it's there, yeah. And as well as that, I'm sure from the people running it too, it's, it's a bit of a dream right next to that big town, South, yeah. Southport, isn't it, Jeff? Yeah, ph- phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. Listen to me, um, yeah. because Latchy is yeah. here with me, um, yeah. it did become apparent when I was talking to him. I met him on the street there and I called around to his man cave um, yeah. on Kinkora Road, which was full of, festooned with photos and little memorabilia from his incredible career and yeah. um he was telling me about actually the first time that he caddied for you which oh, is a long time ago it. desmond a long time ago yeah. uh, what yeah, are your remember what are your reflections on the home internationals in yeah. royal lytham and st anne's in 1973 when you were pretty much about to say goodbye to your amateur career yeah yeah i remember walking up to the clubhouse funny enough and the first person i met was Wow. And I said to him, I don't know if he remembers it the same as I do. I said, what are you doing here? Because I would have known Ray from senior golf. You know, yeah, he played yeah. for uh, St. Anne's. Yeah, for St. Anne's. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I said, what are you doing? I said, I'd take the week off work to come and watch the home internationals. And then he said, but if I could caddy for you, I'd love to. Wow. You know, you know so I went to the, the, whoever was captain at the time. Jeez, it's hard to remember that far back, but... 
I went to meet the guy with the Irish team. I said, look, a friend of mine is here and he'd love the cabbies. Yeah. And they said, no, no problem, because they were fixing up local cabbies. Yeah. And that's how Ray caddied for me. And then we became good friends and um, down the road, he, he took my bag. Wow. And what was yeah. it? I mean, because he had, like, Ray has been kind of uh, quietly uh, revealing the different kind of uh, landmarks in his career where, you know, he then started caddying for Eamon Darcy and then That's for Philip right. Walton. Philip, yeah. And then, and then, then what, yeah, what was it? How did it come about, the connection between the pair of you on the tour, as in, you know, when you figured, yeah, well, why I don't you try to do it together? Yeah, well, Ray and I were always good mates, you know. We always were, we always took the opportunity to have a coffee and a chat and a bit of a giggle and, you know, yeah. how you're getting on and yeah. this type of thing. And and I suppose it was at a certain stage, he was kind of running out of road with uh, Philip and I was running out of road with um, my man, John. And um, I, I said, look, the first opportunity I got, I'd ask Ray what he said my bag, so... I mean, I don't know if I said it to him, but I had it in my head. Like, uh, it's the first opportunity I get, if Ray's free, I'll ask him, you know, yeah. that type of way. Yeah. And uh, whenever that opportunity came, I said, look, you can't be taking my back. Yeah. <laughs> and we had a great uh, 20 years together, I'd say. Phenomenal. I mean, like, yeah. uh, if you don't mind me asking, like, I mean, what, like, what is it that you look for in a caddy? Primarily, what what is it that you need from a caddy personally, Des Smith? Yeah, well, um, reliability was always a, a high high thing in in my estimation of a caddy. Just uh, knowing that he wasn't going to let you down, you know. Big, yeah, but, that's a big uh, big priority, all right, yeah. It is a big, yeah, um, and friendship. You know, Ray and I are great friends. Still remain great friends. Yeah. Um, and I knew when I had Ray, he, he was totally reliable, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, and we had a very good, we had a very good relationship on the golf course, you know? Uh. Um, he knew my game uh, very well, mm. very well. Uh, he knew me because I, I was always in a hurry, you know? He had to, he had to keep telling him to slow me down. Right. What do you mean you like you were in a hurry? You wanted to get to the next shot or get get to yeah, the ball? Yeah, I always yeah I always wanted to get on with it. I always wanted to get on with the game. I, yeah. I hated slow play. I hated people who who pondered over every single thing on the golf course. You know? Yeah, because it affects your kind of karma, doesn't it? It affects your mood. It affects your yeah, yeah, I, equilibrium. I always, I always did better when I was on a roll. You know, if yeah, I, if I was on a roll, I do better. So yeah, I think Ray understood that with me and. Um, yeah, I know we did. We had a very happy time together. I must say, I've no regrets, and uh, we had a good time, and we won quite a few tournaments along the way, and we we met a lot of good people and had a lot of laughs. Yeah, Ray, um, yeah. can you can you kind of add something to that, or you know about Des? Like, what was it that you liked about Des? Because it became this, it was almost like a marriage. You know what I mean? Um, you, you there was a chemistry. Well, it was. Yeah, we were always. Got on well, good friends, and yeah. that, and he played well, uh, practiced well, and yeah. Because my assessment of Des from from kind of just outside the ropes as a kid, and as a young adult, as a fan, and then getting to know him is like Des is the pro's pro. He's very professional. Yes, 
Like every, nothing's left a chance. He's always prepared. I mean, you you can't fire on all cylinders every day. It's just impossible. But some days it kind of gets going. But if you're going to make a, a living at golf, at the very least, you need to be ready. You need to be prepared. It's like Eamon Coughlin going to the Milrose Games because you're going to get found out very quickly within 20 yards yeah. of the yeah, gun going right. if you're not ready because you need well, to be prepared. I think, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that old adage uh, hangs in there for everyone in sport. Uh, you know, fail to prepare... Yeah. Prepare to fail. Yeah, and, and you know, I the, think we yeah. always did. Yeah, sorry, we, we, we always did our preparation. Yeah, the other one that I love is, um, and it was a it was a phrase that Howard Bennett, who was the national coach, uh, yeah. for a period with the Golfing Union of Ireland, uh, as the elite squad started to really start to materialise. But he came out mm-hmm. with a classic that yeah. I'd say Padraig Harrington, who's kind of the younger version of you, if I don't, if you don't mind me saying, you know what I mean? You're very similar okay. in terms of the pro- professionalism and the preparation and all the rest of it. And he said, yeah. if you can do today what others won't, you will do tomorrow what others can't. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, and like that's, that. and like, if you're looking at Harrington and wondering how has he done what he has done, it's yeah. fairly simple stuff, actually. And I would say that you're in that category as well and have been for years, Des, because you were on tour, I don't know, from late 73 or early 74. Yeah, yeah, started in 74. Right, and you never lost your card, ever. You never lost a tour card. You never had to go to Q school, Des. No, I never was at Q school, no. Right, and then you went on the senior tour in America. Yes, great. And you... I kept my my card straight up until I was 60. That was something I'm still proud of. And you were the oldest winner on the European tour until Jimenez... Until Jimenez. Jimenez won in Hong Kong or whatever it was, yeah, 13 years later. So you had that record for 13 years. I was very proud of that because when I look back, I, I was always blown away when Neil Coles won a, a tour event when he was 48, I couldn't yeah. get over anybody winning a tour event yeah. at 48. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then moved the clock forward and I became the one who beat his record. You I know? know, but didn't Julius no. Boros win the PGA at 48? You know what I mean? In America. Like, this, yeah, it's rare yeah, company. Exactly, you're, you know, you're in yeah. rare company doing that. Well, you see, when you're young and you look at guys that age, you kind of think they're old. But you know, when you get there, yeah, you you don't feel old. I know. As, as so many Pers- guys personally speaking, it, I know, know what it feels to be that age now. <laughs> and I you don't feel old. I don't. I feel younger, actually, to be honest with you. But it's not. Yeah. This is not about me. But I'm just. Um, no. You know. But I mean, relatively speaking, I just. But like, it's it's something that that that's true of all people. You know, when you're young, you look up, look to guys, and you talk to were you're yeah. old. You know. Yeah. But uh, when you get there yourself. I know. And look, sure. Like, I mean, Ray has been alongside you for all of this sort of adventure. For, I don't know. What, what, how old do you think you were when you got together with Ray properly 20 years Gee, ago? So, uh, so what are you, 66 now? Remember. So you were, yeah, what were you, 46? I, really? I'm 67 now, yeah. Okay. okay. I, I suppose it was in my 40s. Yeah. I mean, so you got together yeah, at the right time, played, didn't you? Yeah, the pair of you. because we, we played the back end of my tour, main tour career for quite a few years. Yeah, Ray and I, and yeah. Ray was with me when we won in Madeira, and I That's was right, forty-eight yeah. when I won that tournament. Des, do you yeah. remember? Um, sorry, Ray. What, yeah, what's that? You were going to say something there, no? No. Or you're just no. agreeing with Des? Okay. 
I, I, you and I sat in a car park at Dublin Airport years ago, right? I think it was, I'm fairly certain it was 2002 because you had a really good chance in the horrendous weather at the Open at Muirfield that Ernie Els won. You were really yeah. in the mix. You played sensational yeah. golf in the third yeah. round, which in, Tiger, in the, the rest storm, of them, they yeah, absolutely the storm, floundered, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And it was just sensational to see because you were you were no spring chicken at this time, but you were a Lynx guy. You were brought up in Laytown, Bettystown. You spend your yeah. life in yeah. Baltray, the pretty much the home of golf. And, yeah, I think uh, I was 49, yeah, I think you were forty. If I'm not mistaken, because we we I interviewed you in the, and we sat in your car, a big old Lexus, and uh, yeah. we were at the Coachman's. That's where you told me to meet you. So we were in the car at the Coachman's. Besides some yeah. horrible um, waste disposal bin, the smell was shocking. But uh, yeah. anyway, we did the interview, and you had done well. And um, I really had a feeling that you were going to do something else because you were hitting a bit of a zone. And I think, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, that's when you won in Madeira later that year. I think. Okay. I'm fairly certain it was around about, uh, it was in and around that time. Maybe yeah. you had won in Madeira. I'm not sure, but it was. I think I had won in okay. Madeira. Okay. Yeah, I think I had won. Yeah. yeah. So it was more about you nearly winning in Muirfield. Like between the yeah. pair of you, can you just, can you just talk about what it took to kind of get around Muirfield in 2002 in that weather. And I might add, Padraig Harrington had a really good chance um, on the Sunday. That's he, right. he finished tied for That's fifth, right. but he was yeah. he, he, he yeah. was in the lead. He was joined, joint leader and then put it in the bunker yeah. off the 18th tee and had no regrets. He'd played some great golf that day. He was a phenomenal kind of... Uh, it, was, yeah. it was amazing to watch his interview with Doogie Donnelly afterwards and how he assessed everything. And it pointed towards even bigger things for him, I thought. But yeah, of course. Yeah, but you guys were in the thick of it on the Saturday, and uh, everyone was yeah. struggling. This was like you know, it was oh, ra- raining it was cats and worst. dogs, and there was wind. Yeah, no, it, it was one of the worst days that I ever played, and I'm sure Ray remembers it was even better heard, than yeah. me because he was caddying. He had to keep the clubs dry. It was horrendous, Ray. Yeah, he had to, yeah. He had to keep you happy and keep you kind of. You know, yeah. he had to keep a rain on, on you and make sure that everything was there and extra wet wearing gloves and towels. Yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah, what was it, was it like? Pure survival stuff. It was the I worst mean, weather I was ever barely... experienced. Yeah, worst. Yeah, yeah. playing golf. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, we you were... know, Shane, they... you go on, Ray. Tell us. We were in places on the golf course which I didn't <laughs> <laughs> didn't know existed. Didn't exist. Yeah, yeah, Jeannie. I don't know. How For the first know. nine holes, it was phenomenal to watch. The yeah, nine holes, first nine. I think it was the weather was all right then after nine. At, yeah, at the storm. Like it is an incredible course. Like the first nine is almost on the outer limit of the golf course. Yeah, and then the second nine yeah. is within that. It's back in. It is the most yeah. amazing design, isn't it, in Muirfield? It's yeah, kind, it's kind of special. It's very special. Well, I saw that cloud coming over. I remember saying to Ray, "God, if this hits, we're, we're we're in terrible trouble." Yeah. A- yeah. And and um, it, the unfortunate thing was, we played two beautiful rounds of golf. The opening two rounds, I think I shot sixty-eight, sixty-seven. Yeah. And I was playing the club great. You know, when you're playing a storm like that, it absolutely messes your swing up yeah. something dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I hardly hit it. I hardly hit a shot off the centre of the club. After the storm went away, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And yeah. Ha- I, I, yeah. I managed it somehow while the storm was blowing, but when the, when the conditions settled, yeah. I, I completely lost my swing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bugger, but that's golf. It is golf, I'm afraid. Yeah, it is golf. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
like between the pair of you, I mean, like what, what way do you communicate? What's the magic between you? Is it less is more? I mean, is it a very, very kind of quiet communication? I, I'm getting that. I think I keep talking a lot. I always was a bit of a talker to yeah. Ray uh, on the course. Um, and if he had something he wanted to say, and we always made that arrangement. If you ever want to say it, just say it, you know? Yeah. Because I'm not the type that gets upset. Uh, no, you're not. You're not. No. But, but I always said to Ray, I'm sure he remembers all this. I said, look, I don't want to hear after the event, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Oh, Ray, Ray is laughing done. here. He's like, la- he's, uh, yeah, 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 this is. Uh, yeah. Tell me, Ray, what? Yeah, no, what are no. you smiling at? What's? Yeah, no, it's no good talking after the shot. Yeah, yeah. Say, no. say what you have to say before he plays the shot. Yeah, and wh- how do you kind yeah. of mind what you say? I mean, how how could how do you manage to, um, uh, Ray, to figure out the right way to talk to someone like Des to give him all the information without kind of overloading it. I don't think you're actually that kind of guy anyway. I think you're probably very direct, but in a soft way. Well, you got to give him the yardage and the wind. Yeah. And what you think the club is. Yeah. That's the way you can... <laughs> All the basics there, Des. <laughs> yeah, communication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, no, no, that was it. And I, that's what I wanted. I never wanted any more. Yeah. Um, and... Um, you know, if I change my mind, I take the responsibility myself, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, it's up to the player to hit the shot. And, you know, that's yeah. why I've always been fairly simple about things like that. Where where did you, I mean, it's obviously a genetic thing, the way you have, you've got a lovely disposition as a golfer. Um, like everyone gets mm. upset, right? But, uh, you know, I, uh, of course. you know, I and there are moments where you're going to blow a gasket because something happens. Yeah, that, of course, of course. Yeah. But overall, I mean, you seem like such a, pragmatic individual and you kind of look for the the glass seems to be half full with you pretty much all the time I think from what I know of you Mm. would you agree yeah I think that's probably true about about most things in life with me it is half full thank thank goodness but I got great enjoyment out of hitting good shots and when Ray and I would laugh at these things yeah when when we'd we'd hit a a good shot we'd sort of say that's that's yeah. come out of the memory bank, you know? Yeah, I know. Uh, because, you know, I took great pleasure when I played a really good shot. Yeah. I got great pleasure out of myself. It didn't have to be actually important at the time of a, of an actual um, tournament. It mightn't be even that. Mm. It'd be when you play a special shot, both of us would, would have a good laugh about it, you know? Mm. Because I think both of us love golf. I mean, and, and, and that's what made it easy. Yeah. So you were kind of joined at the hip in that respect. There was yeah, a, there was a yeah, deep-rooted exactly right, love yeah. of the game. Yeah, and, that's right. Yeah. And you both, it seems to me, just reveled in the fact that, Janie Mac, we're actually doing this. We're traveling the length well, and breadth of Europe. We're doing this for a living and we both made the living. Yeah, yeah. That was part of the fun of it too. Yeah, of course it was. Uh, we'd all love to have been better on one more and done bigger things, but you know, there's only a few Rory McIlroy's that are born or a type yeah. of wood. There's not many of those guys around. Yeah. So you, so like, you were prepared for the grind, weren't you? You were prepared for yeah, the grind. Yeah, I was prepared for the grind, and I quite enjoyed the grind too. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yes, because we started from from small start, you know, from humble start. 
And, yeah, of course. Uh, the fact that we made it up as high as we did, I think both of us got a lot of fun out of that. I know Ray became a great friend of Ben Crenshaw's and, and other players. And I know he got a lot of fun out of that, as I did. Yeah, yeah that's true. Well, so you're there, like, I mean, Tom Watson and you are, you go back so long now, you've kind of got a I'm rich... But Tom Watson and Ray be bigger mates now, you know? Yeah, yeah. Very true. Very true. I mean, I don't know what it is about Ray, but Ray just has a very uh, likable quality. And I mean, I know he's sitting, he's sitting two metres away from me here. We're, we're, we're obeying all social distance rules here for this interview. Good. But he, he did good, come around good. to the house and we've uh, been washing our hands uh, prior to and will after the interview and yeah. all the rest of it, you know, because everyone needs to do their bit. But uh, mm-hmm. what I like about Ray is actually that he is very much himself. He's not, he doesn't force himself on you. Um, mm-hmm. But if you kind of, if you peel back the layers, then, you know, you can sense that he's, uh, he really cares. Yeah. Really cares. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is a lovely quality. Well, well, Ray was quite a good himself, you know. Did he tell you that? He was what? He was quite a good girl for himself. Well, he hasn't he he hasn't really talked about himself in those terms. I mean, we have delved into the fact that he started at as a, as a young kid as a juvenile in St Anne's, and his dad played, and he loved it so much so that yeah. he would save his money when he was training as a printer and go off and uh, even head off to the Spanish Open in the sixties. I mean, who else was doing that? Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, know, that was Ray. Yeah, he. Yeah, I always associated Ray with golf. You know. Yeah. Yeah, so do I. I mean, that's, and, and he lives around the corner from the Pebble Beach. He yeah. walks the length and breadth of the Bull Island, I'd say, pretty much every day. And yeah, that's his happy space, is up on the sand dunes of the Bull Island and yeah. wandering right. around Clontarf and Donny Carney. Mm. Uh, he's well known down in County Loud too, so he's, he's a big oh, favourite yeah. down here. Yeah, well, County Loud, as mm. I said, like is like the home of golf, and um, it's a very special place that you live in. I must say, very yeah. special. And you married mm. into the royal family as well, which is quite significant. Yeah, it is. <laughs> when you think of Clary Redden, who was pretty much ran that place, and Val Redden, her yeah, husband. But Cla- I mean, Clary, I think, was probably the well, she was a dominant, almost yeah, domineering was, figure. Yeah. She was yeah. a big presence. Oh, right. And she yeah. was your mother. And her parents before her, believe it or not. I can only imagine. I mean, but she played. Yeah, like she played against Patty Berg. She played against Babe Zaharias. Yeah. She won the she New did. Jersey State Amateur. She won That's the right. Irish Close. She won. She was runner-up in the British Amateur. She played in a couple of yeah, Curtis she was Cups. Quite, she, she was quite, quite the lady too. Yeah, she was a yeah, lady. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. I was honoured to sit with her in her front porch with uh, your brother-in-law. Um, yeah, of course, Mister B V Redden, who is That's he's him. like Dorian Gray, that fella. Um, yeah, and what a fascinating afternoon I spent with the late Clary Redden. I must say, because she didn't pull any punches. <laughs> no, no, she wasn't that type. No, like you can only imagine playing match play against her, Des. I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, <clears throat> no, you come, no, you come from good stock yourself, but you married into quite the, quite the family. Um, yeah, so I mean, this, it's just a love of golf. I don't, I think that's just an Irish thing. You know, I think it's something that is almost uh, part of the DNA 
you know, if you're if yeah. you if you're lucky yeah. enough to be kind of involved in a golfing family or near a golf course or brought up within a sure. kind of um, and and the nice thing around here is we we had the east of Ireland when we were younger yeah. uh, every year, and lots of the top players say from Dublin were from were raised from up around Royal Dublin and yeah and Sutton and Malahide and Portmanic. We see all these famous golfers coming down. And that kind of lit a spark in us too, you know. Yeah, it's inspirational, sure. The opportunity to see Joe Carr and Craddock, um, yeah. and uh, you know, and then Ray would come down to watch. Of course um, he did, yeah. Of course oh, he did. You know, because he had that sort of interest as I have. I I still watch the East of Ireland just to see if I can spot the next the next superstar. Oh, sure, I was I, sure I've I've seen you, and I remember walking with you last year as all these South Africans. Even over the yeah, last couple of I mean, years, in that, particular. That, I mean, I, I remember that boy's name, and I think he's going to be more We have to start it yet. A guy called Martin Boxer. Yeah, he's going to be massive. He, yeah. He went to East of Ireland last year. He's as good a player as I've seen. Yeah. Now he 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 was only seventeen years of age, so you know. He's still very young, but I, I think you're going to hear a lot. Of no, I think so. And the guy before him, Christo Lamprecht, was very impressive. And then, you know... He wasn't as impressive as this boy, though. No, no, no. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Isn't it hard to be... I don't know. It's just hard to be the best. It's, it's hard to be definitive as to mm. who it's going to be. Because, I mean, I went down to watch Rory down in the East. And Rory did no good. Well... Uh, uh, but I, I walked the back nine with him. But you, you could see the talent. Yeah, but I mean, the, like Rory played in the East. He had just turned fourteen. That was in um, which weekend? No, I think. No, well, uh, he made his debut. He made his debut in the East. I'm, I, I know oh, this for a fact. Okay. He made his debut with yep. the men in the East in uh, yes. 2003, and then made his okay. debut in match play in a tournament that you won, the West of Ireland, the following Easter. Um, right. That th- those were his first two big ones against the men. So it all yes. happened at the very beginning and almost end of his 14th year on this planet. And yes. it's amazing the difference between what he was in the East for the first two rounds and he missed the cut to what he yes. was when he hit the, the West the following Easter. Sure. It was like yes. day and night. Wow. And then, wow, he, yeah. then obviously he came back and won the West for the next two years. He won the yes. Irish close the next two That's years. Right. He won the Irish boys, right. the Irish youths. Like yeah, we, no, we've been, we've been blessed to have I, someone I, like him knocking around. Play a few shots, yeah, yeah. I don't play a, a, a one particular shot, and I told Ray about it. Yeah, I went down to watch him, and he and he hit a three iron at the eighteen to about ten or twelve feet from about two hundred and thirty-five yards. You know, he hit a high fade, and I just said, I remember saying to Ray, "If I was there for a year, I couldn't play that." Shot. I know, I know. And he was fourteen. You can see the talent. He just away. turned fourteen. What age he was? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the only yeah, time he played in the East, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. He might have played a second time. He but, might have uh, played a second time, yeah. yeah. Then he started, because yeah. obviously the East would clash with the British Am and, uh, or the Amateur Championship, That's as we right. should be calling yeah. it, and yeah, stuff like that. So, mm. Anyway, look, I mean, it, this is more about Ray. Um, it's just fascinating to have the pair of you on. Um, yeah. Like, the end of your relationship, uh, working relationship, I mean, it'll never end, because I'm sure you'll still play in the very odd thing and sure, who well, else, who else well, would you be calling only Ray to kind of be alongside that's you? That's right. I mean, well, we finished together. Because Ray studied to me last year at, yeah. at the, um, in Lytham. But I think I was playing badly then. But the year before, we we played at St. Andrews. Right. 
and um, Good place we, to finish, we made yeah. the cut. We didn't do that well, but we made the cut. And yeah. I remember us walking down the, the first fairway in the third and fourth round, and uh, both of us kind of saying, like eight times, um, how good did it feel playing a major event in St. Andrews again, you know? Yeah, amazing. Because we had happy memories there. But ah, yeah, no. Well, no, okay, I'll say, I hope Ray has enjoyed it as much as I did. Because I, yes. I certainly did. Very much. Yeah, I certainly did. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, yeah, I think we should kind of wrap it up here. Um, yes. And I will, for the next instalment of the Ray Latchford story, <laughs> I will bring him to the Pebble Beach when it reopens. <laughs> and then I I'll bring him from there the up to my garage and <laughs> I'll open up the mics. <laughs> no, bring it with you. Bring the mic why don't, with you. Why don't I bring the mics down to the Pebble Beach? That's what you do. Bring the mic with you. And maybe, Des, you know, when, when we get back to normal, you'll actually join us as well and we'll have a round table down in the Pebble. Yeah, that's And I'll organise a taxi home for you. I'll walk home with Ray. Or, or, or you can, yeah, sure. Look, we'll put the spare room. We'll, 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 figure, we'll, 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 work some, we'll work something else, yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll work something yeah. else. But Ray has lots of good stories. I, I can tell you that. And he oh, won't sure, tell you half of them. I know, sure. He's, 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 get, he's not telling me any of them at the moment. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great fun just knowing Ray, yeah. to be honest with you. He's one of the, he's one of yeah, the really yeah. important characters in Irish golf. Um, he is he's, he's like, um, he's integral to Irish golf, actually. And I mean that. Yeah. I mean that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. As are you, Desmond. As are you. Yes. Well, we're lucky to have been part of the journey. Yeah, it's been a fascinating journey. It's not over yet. We're all in this thing at no. the moment, which is called coronavirus and COVID-19. Yeah. And I think we're all learning right. to appreciate the important things yeah. in life. And golf is important, but it's not the most important. No, but of course not. Aren't we lucky sport, that we've yeah. done what we've done in golf to this point? Yes, yeah. you know, and I think when 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 Ray looks back at his career too, when you think of all the great players he saw, because he really enjoyed watching great players. I know yeah. that about Ray. You know, yeah. seeing Seve up close and Faldo up close and yeah. Rosenham up close and Sandy Lyle up close. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, Seve, when I look I mean, back, Jimmy even Mac, in my career, yeah, that's yeah. the part I enjoyed. I know that you were yeah. there. You saw it. Yeah, you yeah. knew those guys. Yeah. We knew them all and we were in the middle of it, you know? Yeah, that's been fascinating. Yeah. yeah, it is a nice a nice memory to have. Anyway, I can only say Ray and I had, were still great buddies and we had great time. Yeah. Great time. It is very clear. Okay, yeah. Des, yeah. thanks very much for, for joining me okay, on this. Okay, I'll talk right. to you soon. Ray, I'll right, catch thanks. up with you soon. Yeah, right, thanks, Des. And he will, he will catch up with you soon. He's one of the good guys. That's uh, Des Smith from Laytown, Bettystown. Uh, a champion amateur, a very professional guy in his approach to golf as an amateur, and then was, you know, destined to actually make a, some class for a living and learn from his experiences. I mean, that's the kind of guy Des is, isn't that's it? Right. He's, yeah. he's uh, how would you put it? He's one of these guys who figures it out. And you have to figure it out on the range yeah, and yeah, for yeah. yourself. And yeah. you need that support yeah. network. And he has that with his beautiful wife, Vicky, and they have a lovely family. Yeah. And he clearly loved his 20 plus years with you. He did. And you yeah, did we too. We on great, yeah. We did. We did a good time. I'll tell you, we're going to finish with one piece of music. And this is my choice. 
just a bit of a livelier version of a song. Actually, no, he wrote it as well. He's one of my favorite song writers and singers. This is Jackson Brown. And uh, almost at the end of this little journey with my neighbor and friend Ray Lashford. But enjoy this. It's been a long time since I watched these lights alone. I look around my life tonight and you are gone. I might have done something to keep you if I had known. How I'm happy you had become. I was dreaming of you With my heart in your hands And I was following through With my beautiful plans Yeah, I know I'm rolling down This can't be dry With your laughter in my head We're in the middle of um, an extended lockdown here now. Uh, This podcast released on uh, Sunday the 3rd of May. And it's a very significant day in Irish golf as well, I might add, because 
Uh, today was the day that Ireland's first golfing superstar, Jimmy Bruin, passed away back in 1972. And ironically, he was just five days shy of his 52nd birthday. He was taken way too young, but what an incredible life he led. And you might uh, check out the article that Dermot Galise has written in the Sunday Independent today, on this Sunday, 3rd of May. I don't know when you're going to be listening to this, but I hope um, you hear this bit. Because significantly, um, our next podcast will be a tribute to Jimmy Brown, uh, who's a man who has fascinated me since I was a little boy. And I wrote a book in 2007, and he was the first chapter. And there's a very significant anniversary coming up on Friday, the 8th of May. So that will be the date of our next podcast. I'm just giving you the heads up, just giving you the tea up, all right? Um, that's about it. The old music bed comes in, and that means it is time to say goodbye. It has been a joy and a pleasure to be in the company of my friend and neighbour, Ray Lashford. And, Ray, we will do the next one in the Pebble Beach. I think we'll do the next one in the Pebble Beach. And Des will join, and we might get a few other friends in golf to pop in and say hello as well yes yes and all we can do is just keep our fingers crossed that uh hostelries neighborhood hostelries will be reopening fairly soon because what they serve is uh well apart from wonderful drinks on tap and from bottles um they serve a, a community and irish people like to just relax and talk to their friends and strangers and whoever else happens to sit up at the bar. Isn't it true? It's true. We're a nation of talkers, and uh, I've done most of the talking today, Ray. That's right. I've enjoyed it, though. Thank you. (laughs) And you have added a lovely little element to what is growing into this type of uh, show. So I hope people have enjoyed it. And don't forget, you can contact me via Twitter, at Shane O'Donoghue. Uh, via Instagram at Shane O'Donoghue Golf and uh, LinkedIn as well but this has been uh, a lovely hour and a half actually believe it or not in the company of Ray Latchford it's been a beautiful day we've been looking out at a blue sky from my garage and uh, better turn off the microphones now and say goodbye until next Friday the 8th of May when we'll have that very special podcast coming your way so for myself Shane O'Donoghue and from Ray We'll say goodbye. Bye. Thanks, Shane. You've been listening to Shano on the radio which is a niche media production. Any and all unauthorised use or broadcast of the material contained herein will be in breach of copyright.